The Victorians were famously terrified of poisons. The rigid class structure was only sound if an aristocrat could truly trust a servant. How did the low-level poison Datura affect the marriage of British and Indian cultures? Find out today on Footnoting History. Welcome to Footnoting History. I am your host, Leslie Skousen, and today I would like to explore the various uses of Datura and why this plant inspired so much concern within India. Datura is a flowering plant with nine dominant species found from Asia to Europe, with a few invasive plants found in the United States and Mexico. The seeds and flowers of this plant are poisonous. Ingestion of the flowers or seeds causes extreme dehydration and delirium. Survivors report hallucinations, emotional distress, and severe dry mouth. In certain doses, the plant can produce a catatonic state for hours. Cattle or sheep found grazing in areas where the plant grows naturally can be found half asleep but with a racing pulse and extreme thirst. Due to these effects and the shape of the blossom, the Datura flower is also called the devil's trumpet, hell's bells, devil's weed, thorn apple, moon flowers, and jimson weed. The effects of this plant are especially harmful to children, and even those who are careful to avoid Datura may fall ill if they consume the honey that was pollinated by bees drawn to the beautiful Datura flowers. Datura is dangerous. This natural poison is difficult to control and found in many regions. Consequently, it has affected local culture, and that is my focus today. In 1851, after settling into his role as a British doctor living in India, Dr. Giraud published an article on the various properties and uses of the specific strains of Datura found indigenous to India. The book, On Poisoning with Indian Species of Datura, describes the, quote, many intoxicating properties of the plant as a primary facilitator of crimes and criminal behavior. As Datura is a poison, one might expect the most common crime associated with Datura to be murder or suicide. But Dr. Giraud wrote repeatedly of its use in theft. British officials claimed that use of Datura for criminal intent was so common that local people could recognize when someone had been poisoned before the victim themselves realized it. And so we learn about how Datura is pounded into a fine powder and added to rice or other grains or mixed up with cakes and sweetmeats. These various substances could then be offered to an unsuspecting victim who consumed it and fell quickly asleep on the ground, enabling the criminals to rob the poor soul of all their belongings. Of great concern in the Times of India was the trend to discover these victims near a train station. It became increasingly clear, if the fear-driven Times articles are to be believed, that a thief or gang of thieves or rotating group of individual thieves were using Datura habitually in order to sell poisoned treats and curries to unsuspecting tourists. As they purchased their food, they walked away from the train station, and this was ideal to avoid a scene in the crowded public space. By the time five or ten minutes had passed and the effects of Datura began to kick in, their drowsiness caused them to lie down by the side of the road. At this point, the robber or gang of robbers could pounce, taking all the traveler's belongings and hiding the body until the victim awoke on their own some six hours later, unharmed perhaps, but no longer in possession of any of their belongings. Despite these different uses in theft, Datura was rarely fatal when given by these schemes. Thieves seemed to know precisely how much to parcel out without murdering their victims. 
they added a small amount to a large batch of curry or other treats in order to prevent mass murder. The Times of India suggested that travelers never purchase food from street vendors. It was a ridiculous claim in an area where street vendors were a main source of food throughout the city, but Datura served as an interesting response to those who resented the British takeover of India following the 1858 Indian Mutiny. The mutiny and following colonialism did not introduce Datura to some imperialistic rebellion. The indigenous plant could be added to induce sleep on purpose and not just to rob someone. It had a variety of uses. It was a known method for reducing the effects of an asthma attack, for example. It appeared to be an effective method for reducing pain. Doctors wrote into the letters section of the medical journal The Lancet to describe the unusual uses of Datura in India. Some doctors even referred to the so-called common practice wherein homeless people would survive extreme temperatures by taking Datura to allow them to sleep through the worst of it. If the weather were too extreme, they would simply never wake up, but if it were simply unpleasant, they were able to sleep through the misery of it and wake somewhat refreshed. Medical professionals found good use for the plant as well. If handled in order to produce a catatonic state instead of a manic violent episode, then consuming Datura tea or flowers could be a practical way to add anesthetic to health treatments or surgeries. Some medical practitioners advised husbands that Datura could be used as a, quote, marital aid. The implication here is that if a woman is not very enthusiastic, calming her down with a little catatonic and hallucinogenic drug may be just what is needed to save that aspect of marital life. Reading such advice may be shocking to us today until we remember that British doctors at this time were prescribing pregnancy as a way to calm down hysterical women back in Britain. Perhaps this attitude and sexual advice helps to explain why so frequently there are reports of wives adding datura to their husband's dinner. The curry spice covered up the taste of datura and allowed easy consumption of the poison. Whether to render a husband unconscious by accident or kill him on purpose or simply delay the evening's marital events, we can never truly know. Tales of whole weddings being poisoned and sickened by unintentional addition of datura to the feast appear in court trials in both Bombay and Calcutta. What is the meaning of these events? They are difficult to interpret from afar, but it raises a whole question about the institution of marriage and whether these reports were related to the British fear of child brides um, and arranged marriages, which were so often the central concern of newspapers. Statistics bear out that the cultural stability of arranged marriages are much stronger than one might expect, but it is less clear where age plays a role in the stability and where newspapers stood when it came to reporting on Datura-related illnesses. Our sources in English are mostly tainted with judgment and misunderstanding as well. The legal and medical establishments reflected those snap judgments of British officials and their wives in assuming that the cultural place of marriage in India was one of force rather than logic, convenience, or even love. It is difficult to say, then, whether these tales of poison could reflect a larger social issue relating to unwanted marriage ties, or if it were more focused on a misunderstanding of the British reporter. These observations were not limited to India, however. Victorian newspapers were plagued by the scandal of poison. Poison could be terrifying. It is easily procured, applied with stealth, and impossible to detect. 
More than the fear of sudden death was the idea that one could not really trust the servant hierarchy that dominated the Victorian social order. This was certainly true of the enormous servant class in England and the overwhelming industrial age. Uses of drugs for medical purposes could slide into the stage of poison with ease or by accident. The attitude of upending social order pervaded novels, stage plays, and newspaper reports. The idea that this fear would spread with officers in colonies is hardly surprising. How strong of a violation must it have been for a wife to murder her husband? Or a child, their parent, or the servant to murder the master? This was especially important in the trust required for caring for officer households in a foreign land with a mysterious flower, Datura, readily available to impose harm undetected. Most of Datura is unpleasant, but harmless. Its effects range from hallucinogens to a catatonic state, but enough could kill, and the spices in India could cover up its presence in any food. The idea of a delicious meal hiding certain death and betrayal terrified the Victorians. Datura was also a drug associated with suicide. Seminal medical official Dr. Norman Chevers was amazed at the widespread use of Datura for committing suicide across India. Among his prolific works on the subject of crime and natural poisonous herbs are tales of those who choose Datura to end their lives. A field hand fell in the middle of his work. Upon being revived, he admitted to have eaten the flower in order to kill himself. A woman was found dead, having eaten the seeds in a rice dish the night before her wedding to a much older man. Another man was found dead in his hotel room, having consumed datur after his fiancée broke off their marriage promise. But if we take away these dramatic tales of anecdotal suicide, a much different picture emerges. Legal historians have found that the numbers do not match the hysteria. Datura, as a popular method of suicide, was more of a suggestion and a less actual fact found specifically in English-language newspapers. Real numbers of suicide by Datura were less common than popular culture might have suggested through those countless newspaper reports from Bombay to London. This could be a problem of reporting, but it seems more likely that editors simply found a popular topic for selling newspapers back home in London. Ultimately, Datura was treated in India as a mild drug. In heavy loads, it could certainly kill, but its most common use seemed to linger in criminal behavior, pain management, and the reduction of inflammation. As a result, Datura could become a useful, though dangerous, part of medical and criminal culture in British India, and not the rebellious attempts of Indian colonials to overcome their British lords through massive poison campaigns, as the press might have us believe. The existence of this natural medical poison in local culture played into Victorian fears, certainly, but its most common use seems to have remained in the field of petty theft and minor medical treatments. This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com, where you can find links to further reading suggestions related to this week's episode, as well as a calendar of upcoming podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at History Footnote. Until next time, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes. <laughs>